Blessings and welcome back to Pew Babies, your apostolic young adult podcast. I'm Ron. I'm Mike. And I've been patiently waiting for you, anticipating that my blessings on the way. Is that how it goes? I am patiently waiting for you, anticipating that my blessings on this way. Yes. That's a throwback. Yeah, I used to have the DVD and everything to that. Like, oh. My aunt had it on VHS. I had the CD and I had a DVD. We were the wild gospel people. So, like, really? yeah. I remember the Power Belongs to God video when they were singing and stuff. That was fun. Um, who's my favorite choir director to watch? It was like Orlando Draper. Oh, yeah. He was good. My soul, stuff, Matt. He scared me a little bit. Be by the uh, Lord. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> ah, we telling our age. We are telling uh, our age. <laughs> But that was so fun to watch those uh, DVDs. But anyway, how has your week been? It's been good. It's tiring, but good. How about yours? It was good. We were close today, so I Same caught up on here. some laundry and stop. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. And I, I was watching uh, the last installment of Surviving R. Kelly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I still haven't seen the, the first ones. Uh, yeah. The last one is the when you hear about the trials and stuff, because mm. I wasn't really keeping up with the trials, but it's really like kind of intense, to be honest, and really sad. But I'm glad these women got justice. So, yeah. but yeah, our opener last week, we did three word Bible stories. So I wanted to do a few more. This time you're by yourself, so you don't got help. Oh my Mm-mm. god. <laughs> but it should be easy. Um, kiss of death. Who does the Bible story relate to? Judas? Yeah. Yeah, he gave the kiss of death, Judas. Yes, great. All right. The next one is Riches to Rags. Riches to Rags. The prodigal son? Yes. <laughs> you got this. This one is a little bit harder. Oh my god. Get his head. So it could be two. Was uh-huh. it David and Goliath? Or was it when John walked in Jerusalem beheaded? Yeah, so it's not David and Goliath, but that was good because people get stuck <laughs> on the fact that David didn't get the lion's head. But no, this was um John the Baptist when he got beheaded. Mm-hmm. Like the whole plot, I think it was that Herod's wife. He was basically told that he wasn't supposed to be with her because that was his brother's wife. Mm-hmm. He took her and then she told her daughter, Herod wants you to dance for him and when he tells you he can give you anything tell him you want the head of john the baptist and that's why people say they don't like for people to sing the song walking in jerusalem just like john i don't think i've ever heard that song before yeah walking in jerusalem just like john i want to be ready (laughs) oh lord (laughs) (laughs) maybe it was a down south thing must be a down south thing so scary So that was the opener for this week. Do you have any church announcements, Mike? Yes, I do. First and foremost, praise the Lord and and welcome to everyone except the Tennessee lawmakers. Um, we want to welcome you to the P Babies <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> Your apostolic millennial podcast. It has been a wild week, but we made it to Friday, y'all. If you are listening to this, that means you made it. You know, you're still holding on tight with us. 
because 2023 is about to be a very wild ride. Now, we're going to get into some apostolic history, some short, brief apostolic history before we get into our announcements. I want to give you an appetizer, something just to wet your palate before we get into these wild announcements on tonight. So we're going to go down to Highway Christian Church of Christ, which was established in 1941. Um, Pentecostal Assemblies of the World Minister James T. Morris organized Highway Church in 1927 in Washington, D.C. In 1941, he was consecrated as a bishop by Joseph M. Turpin, and that same year he launched his organization. Morris traveled extensively establishing 43 congregations throughout D.C., Virginia, New York, North Carolina, and South Carolina. In 1955, Raymond F. Davis, who served as the National Secretary and Overseer of the State of South Carolina, resigned his tenure and birthed Highway Church of Christ Association Incorporated. Morris' nephew, Jesse V. Lomax, a former member of Church of Our Lord Jesus Christ, succeeded him as presiding bishop in 1959. However, during Lomax's tenure, a schism occurred within the ranks of HCCC. During his term. First, in 1976, James Frank Harris and Douglas Williams separated to establish the Redeemed Assembly of Jesus Christ Apostolic. Then, when Lomax died in 2001, Samuel Redden replaced him. By 2002, the organization was approximately 3,000 members and 19 congregations in Washington, D.C., New York, Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. Bishop Herman Jenright, who served as National Secretary and is the pastor of the Headquarters Church in Washington, D.C., is the current presiding prelate. That was our apostolic history for this week Amen. now let's get into some announcements our first announcement says prophetess kamisha munford the director of rising generations early learning center in prince george's county maryland tells lesbian couple that god said break up this is a message daycare director left for a lesbian couple Kelly and Kai Gibbs, when they received this message in February from Rising Generations Early Learning Center Director Kamisha Mumford, the family shared the voicemail with Fox 5, and the voicemail went something like this. Hi, Mrs. Gibbs. This is Miss Kamisha from Rising Generation. I am so sorry to be calling you this late and to be calling you from my personal private cell phone, but I had to call to let you know that I'm a prophet and God often speaks to me through dreams and visions, Mumford said. The word of the Lord says that God won't you and your wife to split up and i am sorry to tell you this i also speak in tongues i pray in tongues the author says i understand the daycare director is the daughter of the owner and that the director has not been fired and for you know just to guy give you a little bit of clarity this made it to tiktok so you already know it has probably gone quite viral but did you have any thoughts on that sister ron yeah um Hmm. I guess I'm like conflicted here because yes, a prophet could be called and like, you know, they're supposed to cry loud, spare not, right? And tell people when they've done something wrong or something's at issue. And so maybe this call was that, but it also sounds like you went to my business. So it's just... <laughs> like, like if it was a cold call i would be like oh wow like that's crazy for you to not know anything about this woman or these people and say y'all need to break up like but because you know i don't know mike i don't i just feel like we just need to mind our business that's all i can say about this i don't know maybe the spirit of the lord told her that it's hard for me to know i don't know that's why i stand on that yeah i just i agree with you i think we should have set this one out and we should have minded our business and not call this couple and i don't think that's something i would have left on that voicemail even if the lord 
directed me to say that, I wouldn't have left that on that voicemail. Like, that should have been a face-to-face conversation. You know what I mean? Like, that should have been a conversation like, okay, can we meet at Starbucks? And let me, you know, give you this word that the Lord, if the Lord had really spoke to you. They needed to hear this message, Mike. It was an emergency. For you to get on the phone and tell these women that the Lord told them, like, I'm sure these women are traumatized. And this is not the way to win people. Like, you can't win people that way. If you didn't agree, or even if you felt like the Lord had given you that word, like, there was a way to communicate that word. And leaving it on the voicemail, that just, that won't it. And it wasn't not a good look. So... It was just the confirmation of our praying tongues that made me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted you to know that I also pray in them. (laughs) Impeach Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Ah! (sighs) Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas said that he didn't report lavish trips paid by a conservative billionaire because he's a close friend who didn't have business in the court. Not only is he the most conservative justice on the Supreme Court of the United States, but he also lies. He's a sellout and he is in the pocket of the ultra wealthy and he is an insurrectionist. And this is not our words. This is the words from the article. (laughs) I really can't think of enough adjectives to describe Clarence, incompetent, offensive, reprehensible, unethical, unqualified, stupid God. I hope I live long enough to see the day he is gone from the Supreme Court of the United States. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, and then someone, uh, Rachel Maddow, tweeted, if Clarence Thomas thought his latest scandal would be a one-day story, the controversial justice is likely to be disappointed. Some congressional Democrats have even raised the specter for an impeachment push. Yeah. Okay. So first, I'm going to backtrack on everything that the article writer said. That's Justice Thomas. Like, we still got to give the man respect towards do but i do have many thoughts first thought is because i he actually put out a statement today giving a response it was a one paragraph statement that said that he had asked about whether he needed to report this he was told by his colleagues that he didn't and so he didn't and that the rules have changed recently for judges as far as personal or friendship gifts and whether they needed to report them and he said due to the recent changes that going forward that he would report so i just want to put that out there i think one it's problematic for the past couple decades for him to have been going on these very lavish trips with a very rich man in real estate development who is a very strong republican supporter when i'm talking about lavish i mean private jet trips trips that cost $500,000 when this man makes $200,000. Trips that have been going on between him and his wife, going on these trips with this family for years upon years, literally after the session ends. The question that he asked was, did I have to report when this man had no business in front of the court? And they were told no, but my issue is that when you're of this caliber, when you are a Supreme Court justice, everybody's business is your business. And for me, It's very hard to see how a lot of the decisions that you take up in the court is not going to be influenced by your friendships. Like people are playing the long game. So it can't just be like, this is my friend. Their business is not before me. It has to be like, this is an issue that I'm sure your friend cares about and you might talk about. And I think when it comes to being a chief justice or just a judge in general, even the judges that I know, like they don't commingle with us attorneys. <laughs> like, like, and they, they feel isolated and they tell us that like, they don't like that 
that feeling, but there's also a level of respect that we have for them. And there's only so much that they can commingle with us about. And so I'm sure a lot of attorneys have friends that are like regular people and higher up people and people of power. I mean, judges, but I don't know to this magnitude, the article I, I did read the, I think it's ProPublica that came out with the article in history. There has never been a judge who has received gifts to this extent which is something to say. It's something to say that him and the justices feel like, I'll just say generally, the legal realm in itself checks itself, which sometimes isn't always good. When you can go unchecked by, or you get checked by the people that's also in the room with you, like you, sometimes things kind of slip through the cracks. So I appreciate the article. I appreciate the investigation of people. I think that it's important for us to kind of probably go and look at the ethics again for judges and kind of be like, mm, maybe you shouldn't be receiving a gift like this. In the legislature, they can't receive gifts over $50. Not to say that judges should have that same standard, but I mean, we have to pay attention to how you are influenced, especially when you're presently on the bench. Now, if you were retired, you know, that'd be a different story, but judges are a lifetime judges and we don't get to pull you out and when you're supreme court justice you don't get appealed now let's also talk about how clarence thomas sorry i'm going to be so long on this but clarence thomas also refused to dismiss himself from the cases regarding his wife and her involvement in january 6. so that to me and i mean no one is checking that there's things like that that is just blatant conflicts of interest that aren't being checked and it's concerning to me and so like should the rules and laws be changed should the code of ethics for judges be changed in light of this situation Yes, because if you don't have the judgment to think that this wasn't okay, <laughs> like then that's problematic. And it's like, okay, now we got to put a rule in place because no one should be taking private jet trips, $500,000 with someone who was so influential, particularly to one specific party. Mind you, I mean, yes, you got voted in under a party, but you're supposed to be neutral as a judge. And there's no business, especially when it comes to political party, that is not anybody's business. It all runs together. So, I mean, we see that every day. Everything kind of runs together. So, I think going forward, hopefully he reports and we need to change the rules so that this doesn't happen again. Only thing I'm going to add, or only two things I'm going to add. One, I would love to take a $500,000 trip. Like, just somebody tell me what all that includes. Like, that sounds. Island hopping in Indonesia. In okay. Like, I, I got to experience that. Like, where where can I get a, one of these billionaire friends? Um, two. Why is Clarence Thomas' name always caught up in some scandal? Like, should we be concerned because he's black? Excuse me. Oh, okay. I was just <laughs> see. I was just trying to see if that was what you was trying to like bring up. Like, should we be concerned because he's only one of two black justices? That this is why. They're invest doing a deep dive into it. Well, you know what? Um, it, 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 but you know what? I might would feel like that if he hadn't made decisions and stuff that he's made in the past and all of those. But I, there's nothing in me that feels any kind of sympathy or any kind of like, well, you know what? You know, he's black, whatever. No, there's nothing in me that feels for that. Like, what comes to him comes to him. Like, it's whatever at this point. That's all I got on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, our next article, speaking of Republicans, God don't like ugly attempt to take over backfires in a major way as Disney humiliates Ron DeSantis. As someone who lives in Florida, um, which the author lives in Florida, I don't live in Florida and never will live in Florida. Um, <laughs> when I found out how Disney tricked 
uh, this idiot. This is the words of the Arthur. I immediately signed up for Disney Plus. Disney's uh, lawyers outclassed and outsmarted this idiot. Now the idiot, if she used idiot quite a bit, DeSantis is going to spend millions of, of Florida's taxpayer dollars to try and restore his bruised ego. Money that could be better spent elsewhere. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis suffered a humiliating defeat at the hands of Mickey Mouse last week. Imagine going to court and losing against Mickey Mouse. <laughs> well... Milky Mouse is a very powerful corporation. I mean, so, very powerful. Very but I mean, powerful. imagine being being humiliated by Mickey Mouse. Like, come on. What did you have to do? How bad of a person are you to be humiliated by Mickey Mouse? <laughs> Just as DeSantis' new puppets on the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District Board were about to take control of the area that includes Walt Disney World, they found out that their predecessors signed a deal in February that basically cedes maximum control of to the company, thus neutering the DeSantis crew. Um, she linked an article to these claims here, and wow. Just wow. Any thoughts? Yeah, so... I think like sometime last year you talked about Rob DeSantis going against Disney and it's all started really from this law basically where they wanted to change what was being taught in schools, particularly gay rights being taught in schools, or they were calling it the don't say gay bill basically. <laughs> and um, Disney said they were going to work hard to repeal it. And so this is where this rivalry came from. And then, so we have Ron DeSantis saying he wanted to take Disney and make them pay more money on like add tolls to their Disney roads and increase their taxes and then now he's trying to take control over Disney who basically as an entity like has created their own town and has taken control of the whole thing so thoughts on this the switcheroo that happened last minute Disney like I said is a very powerful corporation with very smart I'm sure and well-paid attorneys who were like how do we make sure we maintain control? And so before the switcheroo, before DeSantis was like, okay, we're going to put my people in, which she's been trying to do. They were like, we're going to basically cede all this information to Disney. I read an article today that Ron DeSantis said that the fight is not over. It is just gearing up and that they're going to see the legality of these agreements and to check and make sure that they should remain in effect because the law put his people in power and not the central Florida board that gave Disney their power. So try, it's going to be a lot of litigation on this. I'll just say this should be fun to watch. This personal, very personal vendetta that this governor has against this corporation that has really run Orlando for 50 years. years. <laughs> years. <laughs> it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. But yeah, I mean, I mean I'm not a fan of Ron DeSantis, but this should be fun. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I yeah, it's it's gonna be fun to watch. Um, I love when people like Ron DeSantis get shown their papers, you know, mm -hmm. like get fact checked for something that they're doing. It reminds me of like seeing some of these shows on television. Like, I don't know if you ever seen Tyler Perry's The Oval, complete trash TV, no, complete no. trash, but. <laughs> It follows like the president and his family in the White House, whatever. So that's what this situation kind of reminds me of. Like one of those extreme circumstances where there's like this hunger for control and power and, you know, you get railroaded and it is, now it creates this drama. Now, you know, there's a plot twist and stuff. So I'm going to be interested to seeing, along with everything else Ron DeSantis is trying to do, where it's going to be illegal for you to call somebody racist. Then, you know, we're going to start removing, you know, books about black history, certain books about 
black histories from out of schools and stuff i'm 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 gonna be sitting back looking i'm gonna have my popcorn because this is about to get ugly and it's gonna get ugly real fast uh when does his governor roll like up for re-election do we know 2024 if i'm not mistaken oh interesting he's running he's one of the candidates he's talking about for president, president right yeah yeah this is why i've been telling people and i'm gonna <laughs> say this and i'm gonna hop on my soapbox i've been telling people you have to vote 2024 yeah 2020 election was very important but this 2024 election is doubly important like trump was you know was trump and the one thing the only good thing that you would hear me ever say about you know, DT is that at least, you <laughs> know, he kind of told us what he was thinking. Like he didn't hold back as far as what he was thinking. That's the one thing I, I had to respect about for him is told us what he was thinking. What was on his mind. We never had to like guess like it just what you saw was what you got as far as, you know, what he thought about certain things. Like, you know, it, it came, well, it was unclassy. There was no diplomacy about it. Anything you just, it just came out, which, you know, in return, which was a bad thing kind of caused this comfortability among you know racist people especially in red states like they felt very comfortable mm-hmm. being racist and they felt very comfortable kind of being passive aggressive and being you know microaggressive and just being straight up aggressive in a sense because they felt like they seeing this man in the white house like he say whatever he's gonna say i'm gonna say whatever i'm gonna say right the part that makes ron DeSantis dangerous is that everything is going to come it's going to be diplomatic and you know it's going to be very much so said and presented and wrapped up in this nice box he's a true politician he's a true politician he's a true politician and so a lot of the things that he's going to try to push it's going to be wrapped up very nicely like he's going to know how to sell it to you and if you don't vote there's no need for you to complain when your children can no longer learn about black history in schools or when it becomes illegal for this that and the third to happen or it becomes illegal you know for you to call somebody racist or it becomes legal for you to identify a certain way like you better get out there and you better vote and know who you're voting for and do research on these candidates before you go vote don't think about the stimulus check they're going to give you don't think about you know this that and the third the promises that they say they're going to make think about how it's going to affect you and your children and and generations to come because it's going to get ugly it's going to get worse before it gets better um Got two more announcements, and I'm going to hand this back over to Sister Ron. LSU's Angel Reese and other Black women are held to unfair standards in public. Over the past three months, three major reports have been published that show Black women are not treated as equal to their peers in the workspace, specifically as it relates to hair discrimination, pay inequity, and an increased risk of pregnancy discrimination. But we don't need reports to know that. We experience it ourselves. And this is coming from a Black woman that wrote this we are two black women lawyers who walk the halls of the court system with the fire of authenticity passion and innovation only to have our flames continuously doused with misogynoir humiliation and indignity while navigating anti-blackness in the workplace we've both been told as many black professionals have been told to play the game but the game which is rigged with limited boxes stereotypes and implicit biases beyond our control is designed for us to lose i'm not going to read the whole article but I think there's a lot to be said in this article. I'm going to read just this part right here, and then we're going to jump into explaining it. So it says, the part of of a larger problem with how the concept of professionalism, which is in theory applies to everyone, is used to wildly police and regulate people of color in various ways, including hair, tone, and food sense. As Leah put it in an essay for the UCLA Law Review, standards of professionalism aren't applied equally to all, and when any person of color deviates from the status quo, even 
driven to challenge workplace injustice, they are often labeled unprofessional. This especially impacts Black women who are often devalued in the workplace and report feeling the least respected. For Black women, the pendulum can swing from being seen as professional if she quietly weathers toxicity or to being deemed unprofessional if she reacts, defend herself, or pushes back. It happened to Angel Reese of Louisiana State University women's basketball team. She was called a classist piece of and a an idiot for pointing to her ring finger and making a you can't see me gesture to her opponent Caitlin Clark. Critics condemned Reese for bad sportsmanship but her opponent Clark was not criticized when she made the exact same gesture recently. It happened to Justice Contangi Brown Jackson when she endured denigration and public humiliation as part of the U.S. Supreme Court's hearing process to show her worthiness. Throughout the attack she remained composed but she undoubtedly would have been labeled unprofessional if she had defended herself or challenged the vitriol and it goes on to talk about how Angela Bassett you know when she didn't get the award at the Oscars and she was passed over by Jamie Lee Curtis which I thought was unfair and she didn't clap she kind of cracked a smile but she was even criticized for that so Ron I definitely want you to take this because you you know work in corporate America and you're a black woman and just kind of give your perspective on what the things we just read I sent the article because um the controversy particularly with Angel Reese from LSU. Congratulations to them for winning. Yes. Just this lack of sportsmanship and you're not a good team player and just the portrayal particularly of black women, but all people of color when we do things that anybody else could do, but all of a sudden is like frowned upon or a problem when we do it. And it's just a frustration that we'll probably have and continue to have. I can't even speak for myself and my professional experience. Like I was entering my review and one of the first things that was said to me was let's start with the good things we like your personality and I was like if the good things start with just my personality and not my work that's problematic right so (laughs) it's just little things like that that I don't think people realize are microaggressions and in my personality later on in the interview he continued to talk about how my personality was very timid and not as outgoing and as a litigator they would expect me to be outgoing so I was like you like my personality but you don't like my personality but it's also interesting thing sorry I hate to go on this tangent but I I am very timid at work in certain aspects because I understand that if if I come off as more of my own outgoing personality I could come off as aggressive I've been working a lot with our leadership particularly in the diversity inclusion field and that has been some of the response that I've gotten from them with coming to them with ideas and things like that is that I can come off as aggressive so it's kind of like am I timid or am I aggressive it's just interesting like this kind of balance beam that we have to play as black people, people of color, and particularly as black women trying to make people happy, but also do our job, but also not seem like this, not seem like that. And we can't interpret how other people see us or how we show up. And so I appreciate the article and I hope people just show up the way they show up and just let people take it the way it is. And a lot of times when you're trying, particularly in corporate America, fit the certain mold or the certain look, you have the Mollies of the world from Insecure and then you have the Issa's, you know, and Molly and her corporate demeanor had like the weave, the straight hair, the very, you know, nice, like 
whatever outfits and then you have people who are more i just follow the beat of my own drum and i have like natural hair or i am a little quirky or things like that and it's just it's difficult for both parties because trying to fit a mold that's not fully you is hard but then also trying to be yourself is hard so it's just a conundrum that we have right now that hopefully will continue to fight no it was very well put just to add to that it's funny i was reading the article and i thought about my former leader that i had working at nordstrom she was sharing with me and i won't go to too much detail i don't know who listens to this show but she was forced to resign from her job or uh, made to resign from her job after 10 years of phenomenal service because of microaggressions from from white people and things of that nature so she i remember her sharing some things with me she was going through uh, at her job and just kind of receiving all this pushback and you know receiving it was always something she could never do anything right it was always you know this policing of her attitude policing of her tone and things like that so i think for me it's a revolving door first of all and i think what makes it even worse for black women and i can't speak for the experiences of black women i haven't walked those shoes but what i can say is as a black man i've been seeing so many black men speak you know negatively of black women of the way even in the angel reese situation there were black men that were like speaking on social media about how she was stupid for handling the situation that way or i think she made a comment or it was something about you know jill biden offered to bring both teams to the white house for lunch because she loved both teams that way but you know only one team deserved to go to the white house then that was the winners right. so you know and then but there was black men actually criticizing her where she's doing too much and you know she's saying too much but it's always this policing and and i'll never understand white people policing you know policing black people and in the in regards and corporate america and stuff like that but i definitely can't take that from black men you know um because it's one thing to be black and be criticized from, from those that share different experiences but those that share the same experiences as you it's a very hard concept to grasp you know because there's always these respectability politics that come up well you should just do this you should just do that you should just wear your hair like this even for me as a black man working in certain like white spaces i remember when i first went to washington dc i think i told this story before i you know got this new job like i remember being told i was too aggressive and i remember what that did to me so after that within my career you know it kind of like you ron i became timid like i didn't say much whatever because i was so afraid of being called aggressive like i never wanted to be known as this aggressive black man i never wanted to be known and there's always this you know oh well you don't say much like and, and this is what i dealt with in my last job oh we noticed that michael doesn't really say a whole lot or we noticed that michael well is is something wrong with him does he not and i'm like no because if you say something you know it's kind of like well he's you know maybe he talks a little bit he doesn't fit our culture or you know blah blah blah, blah. but then if you don't say anything it's like well something wrong he's a little distant and stuff like that so it's always this you know you gotta learn how to play the game unfortunately is like that and uh, hopefully there are some people that are at the forefront for trying to work to kind of resolve these things that's why DE&I is so important in any company to be able to teach people what that looks like for us and I think it's a shame almost that you got to teach human beings how to treat human beings i should be comfortable coming to work and being quiet i should also be comfortable coming to work and you know letting my voice be heard i should be comfortable coming to work and being myself like there's no reason why if you have natural hair as a woman you can't wear that to work if you have braids you can't wear that to work if you have dreadlocks as a man you can't wear that to work like there's no reason for that and i just think in 2023 these are things that we're still trying to work through and unfortunately it's almost like there's no end inside. 
for it. So yeah, I have two points from what you said. It's going to be a lot of work before this is fixed. A lot. One of my brothers shared with me an article about visibility and how particularly when you're a person of color in a predominantly white space, your existence itself already puts you at odds. So when you're not there, people notice you're missing. Like we can't be late to a meeting or step away from the office or work remotely when everybody else is in the office because we know that there's a black person that's supposed to be here and we ain't seen you. And so it's easy for you to be caught more or less than your coworkers. And then the other part of it about playing the game, even for myself, like I said, I to go to work and just work. <laughs> I don't like to fraternize in the halls and chit chat and laugh because at the end of the day, a lot of times the stuff people talk about, I don't care about, like, I don't feel like talking about what type of coffee maker you have at home and stuff like that, that could care less. And the things I'm passionate about you guys, particularly the people on my job, they probably want to discuss like the stuff we talk about here. So, <laughs> I mean, there are people there. Let me not say everyone, but I will say the chatter in the hallways wouldn't be the same as me talking to friends, particularly to Mike on this. So I would just prefer to be in my office and not speak with people. But that's like they said, part of the game. You need to talk to the partners in the hall and chit chat with the clients and stuff like that about their coasters and their trips to blah, on the yacht that you don't care about because that's how this works. Um, The last point I want to talk about is black men support. I will say this, a lot of times black men reach out to black women in their spaces to find support, to find coexistence and to just have a place to like, I have these issues in the office, like, let me talk to you, blah, blah. But we don't really get that back as black women. So I can't really speak of the black male experience because I'm not a black male, but I will say this, that if there is a black woman in your office, just know she is working very hard. <laughs> and probably being, as my professor told me in, in college, being a duly oppressed person, whatever, but it's a lot different than entering a space as a male, being a woman. And then a lot of times we have to deal with female politics as well. So having white women also feel like they're over you or can control your situation stuff like that in a way that they probably wouldn't do with a black male. So I would just say that just the support that you look for from the black female coworkers, make sure you give that back to them because a lot of times they're probably going through a lot of things that they don't tell you. But that's all my thoughts on that. I agree with that. And definitely just to reinforce like, it's time to protect black women i'm gonna just leave it at that and it's been time to protect black women physically emotionally all of that stuff you know it, it doesn't have to be your wife or your girlfriend your sister but there's a black woman in your space there should be comfortability enough not that you know you're looking for any ulterior motive but to be able to have that safe space to say you know this is what's going on and to be reciprocated so that was a really good point that you brought up i have one last announcement tennessee's republican-led house expels two democratic lawmakers for gun reform protests fails in bid to oust a third. In an extraordinary emotionally charged session marked by tense exchanges and punctuated by boos and chants from onlookers, Tennessee Republicans controlled House of Representatives voted to expel two Black lawmakers but failed to oust a third representative. A week after the three Democrats led a gun reform protest in the chamber, the crowd in the gallery erupted in boos and chants following both explosions and loud cheers when the vote count turned up just short in the bid to oust Representative Gloria Johnson. The session lasted seven hours. The vote overrules violations for Representative Justin Jones split along party lines 72-25, while the vote in Representative Justin Pearson's case was 69-26. Johnson's 
vote was 65-30. Expulsion from the House requires a two-thirds majority or the total membership. Protesters upset with inaction on gun violence reform after a daily mass shooting at Nashville School again flooded the state capitol on Thursday in the session to vote on the expulsions. A step the state house has taken only twice since the 1860s was to begin. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's pretty long. Kind of gave you just a brief overview about what happened. So Ron, I'm going to go ahead and have you jump in. Yeah, so I I saw this. Basically, they were told that they violated a rule for the representatives by engaging in this protest to support the students or the kids who were talking about gun violence. And so they were expelled. Justin Square, Justin Pearson, and Justin Jones. Justin Pearson, before he left, he gave a very riveting speech. He's kind of sounded like Martin Luther King a little bit, which is kind of weird to me. But it was a good speech. And it was basically like, you know, we will continue to be heard and we've come a long way, but there's still more work to do. I'm going to say this. I love this. I love it so much. Like, it's good to know that when we lose political leaders like Elijah Cummings and so many other civil rights leaders, that there are still people who are in their 20s, early 30s, stepping up to take those spots and to advocate. And even if you have to do things that some people at times may feel as foolish. I remember Elijah Cummings, I think he sat on the house floor <laughs> so that people couldn't take a vote. But sometimes you have to do things like that in order to show and represent your constituents and get a message across because people won't hear you. And it's it's sad that that's what has to happen. But again, we were just talking before about entering predominantly white spaces and the need for us to be our authentic selves and the need for us to send messages in order to push these companies in order to push whoever to make changes that reflect our society that promote equality and so i fully support both of these representatives so grateful that tennessee has them i hope that tennessee continues to support them these students were advocating for something that we all should be advocating for which is the end to gun violence it's an issue in america it hasn't been fixed and we could continue to just avoid the root of the issue which is the guns <laughs> and we try to figure out every other way to get around it but there's no way to get around it and just continue to see people murdered and i mean we've had legislators husbands and family members get shot we've had kids get shot we have people at work get shot we've had military people get shot everybody's being killed by people with guns and weapons a lot of them have mental illness some of them don't some of them just have vendettas whatever and we just continue to not address this issue so whatever it takes you know and if you get expelled at least you're creating more media attention around the issue and so I'm just grateful that we have these people and honestly they motivated me like I want to get more involved in my community and figure out the issues that we have and promote like it's time to stop sitting on our loyals you know we get into these ivory towers <laughs> And this is something I've been telling myself, but we do. We get into these ivory towers. We look out the window with nothing to do, twiddling our thumbs. But there's so much work to do. There's so much to be done. And we just refuse to do it. And we get comfortable. And so it's time to shift our comfortability. Um, I know my pastor, I was talking to my family today about this. And my pastor, he brought it up in Bible study. I know that's not what he meant, but he was talking about how Moses used to be royalty and how he ended up having to be taken from the royal place in order to become a shepherd and to reach his full potential. And I know that's not what my pastor meant from that, but that's the message that I took is that sometimes we have to leave our thrones. So leave your comfortable spot, leave 
whatever you need to do to actually make a difference and do something and thank you justin square justin pearson justin jones for showing that and i hope you guys continue to advocate and we'll continue to support you guys yeah definitely i think like you i can't say this enough you you summed it up so perfectly just to piggyback off what you said we need more people like these two guys like we need more people in our communities that's taking a stand you know against issues that matter in our community you know and so First of all, just even what happened with Tennessee, you know, you expelled the two black ones, but the white one you didn't expel, but, you know, classic, you know, down south tales. So what else did we expect? But I think for these two guys, I I think, you know, it takes a great deal of courage to be able to go into a room with people probably wishing they could throw knives into your back to be able to stand there and speak with so much conviction and speak with so much passion about the things that matter. And for me, it just reminds me that there's always something to be done. You know, there's more that I could be doing, you know, here personally, whatever I could be doing, whether it's helping to educate someone, you know, donating to somebody's cause to better our communities and things like that, because we're living in a day and time now where people don't know a whole lot like i you know you're on social media there's a lot of things people don't know there's a lot of things people don't know they have access to a lot of people that don't even know that they that they can vote that don't even know what gun reform is so there's a lot of work to be done i think you know just seeing two black brothers on the forefront like that you know putting in that work and standing strongly by what they said i mean it inspired me it inspired me, but again, like I hate that kind of they were voted out like that. But again, like, did we expect anything different out of Tennessee? I don't know what's going on down in Tennessee. I don't know what's going on down there in Mississippi. It's a reckoning. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in South Carolina. I don't know what's going on, but it's it's crazy. And um, I might need to go ahead and get on out the South. Cause... No, you need to go and make a difference, Mike, and join your legislature. <laughs> I want to point out just Justin Pearson, when he got sworn in to office, he was wearing a dashiki on his like swearing day. And after the ceremony, one of the representatives got up and he talked about attire and decorum. And he was like, I showed up once to this legislative building and I didn't have on a tie. And I was told that I was supposed to wear a tie and that there's a certain way I'm supposed to look. And so now I keep a tie in my drawer. And he was like, I just say all that to say that there used to be a time where you couldn't enter this legislative building without looking a certain way. They wouldn't even let you in the door. And I just wanted to say that to all the representatives. So Justin Pearson wrote online and said, I literally just got sworn in a few minutes ago. I wore my dashiki and this man telling me that I need to wear a tie and they don't like my dashiki. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> And so, and then the representatives like tried to clap back and was like, well, we weren't specifically talking about you. Who were you talking about then? (laughs) Let's be honest. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Like people showing up as their authentic self. And as soon as you do, here comes some person who, and to me, that's a huge microaggression and you're gaslighting me. And I hate to use the term gaslighting, but seriously, you gonna talk about me. You knew that I was the only, probably the only person there wearing this dashigi that wasn't in the suit. And then you try to say, oh, I wasn't addressing you. I was just talking as a whole please we know who he was talking about exactly. so kudos to justin pearson for not letting down from the first day that he entered that space and entered that building and i hope that we all get that same courage whether it comes to your spiritual walk with christ or whether it's showing up in corporate america i hope you can show up as your authentic self so yeah praise the lord everybody
Praise My the Lord. God, did not our hearts burn tonight? God <laughs> 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 is so good to us. How could we let him down? How can I let him down? How can I let him down? I'm going to turn this part of the series back over to Sister Ron. Yeah, so we're going to keep it short and light today. And we're just going to give some Easter memories and then wrap this up for tonight. So first, Mark, I just want to ask you, do you celebrate Easter? I do. I celebrate Easter. And how do you celebrate Easter? Um, For me, um, I always buy myself a new Easter suit. Um, Because why wouldn't I buy a suit from the M. Corbett collection? Like, what? <laughs> What color are you wearing this year? I'm wearing gray with a teal pinstripe. Okay. Yeah. Three piece, you know, because I felt like I was doing too much for my church last year. I had on like a teal suit with a teal matching shirt with a teal (laughs) tie. It was like monochromatic, but I just felt like I was doing too much. So so you turned, you toned it down just a little bit. I toned it down just a little bit. You know, I, (laughs) you know, I don't want nobody to not be able, did you see the article? I don't know if you saw it. It was about this, this preacher he wore this suit in the pulpit and it was like a ombre color suit, whatever, which the ombre, you know, style has like, you know, was a thing. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how all of his members was like, oh man, your suit is fly. Like that is, man, that's a bad suit. He said, while he appreciated the compliments, he said it made him realize that people were more, more focused on his suit than they was like, you know, the service and the word of God. And it struck a conversation about modesty, you know, in like mm. the pulpit and stuff. So that's immediately like what I thought about. I was like, you know what? You know what? I'm not against it. <laughs> I, was, I don't want nobody to be like looking at me you know not being able to you know enjoy the service because they're distracted by what I have on so yeah oh that made me change now I gotta change my outfits a little bit no 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 because my skirt's been a little bit shorter than they should okay you know hey I'm trying sorry I'm joking but no you're right like we need to be mindful no that's a good conversation but anyway yes so Easter suit. Easter suit. Um, what else do I do? Like, I really don't do go to church, and I'm always looking forward to either like just eating with my family, whether we're going out to eat or whether we are like I really wanted to grill out this year, but the weather is not gonna permit. Mm-hmm. But I always look look forward to breaking bread somehow. Okay. So I guess that's how I celebrate Easter. How about you? Yeah. So like we normally call it like Resurrection Day. Mm-hmm. I've adopted that, you know. But um. So for Resurrection Day, I, I was going to buy a new outfit, but I'm not. I'm just going to go to church and uh, worship Christ. And then I got invited to a friend's house for Sunday dinner. So normally, like, um, after Easter Sunday, when I was growing up, we used to do 50-day consecration. So your Easter meal was like your last big meal before the 50 days of oh fasting. My. So I haven't thought about whether I want to do that or not. That's something I got to talk to God about. But... <laughs> Um, yeah. So I also wanted to ask if you have any Easter memories, like what was your church like growing up on Easter Sunday? Did y'all have programs and stuff? We did. So first and foremost, my church used to have sunrise service on Easter morning. So what is sunrise service? Glad you asked. Because <laughs> I have never heard of that. So basically what it was, was like we would get up and go to, we would have service at 6 a.m. in the morning. Ooh. And yeah, so 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. We would always do a Christmas. Christmas and Easter. I never understood why we did it on Christmas because it made no sense. But anyway. Y'all um, would get up at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. Let me tell Christmas you, day. for Christmas Day, I couldn't open not a gift 
not a toy or anything until we went to sunrise service. Like we would go to oh sunrise service from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. And as I got older, the crowds dwindled down because who was getting up that early to go to sunrise service? <laughs> then on top of that, like we would do sunrise service on Easter Sunday morning. Again, six to seven. And basically they would go in and have devotion service. And then we would come back for morning worship. Some of the saints that lived kind of far away mm-hmm. would just stay at the church and camp out or hang out or go to somebody's house until service began. But I remember oh, like a couple of years, like we did that. And then we all went out for breakfast and then we left breakfast and we went home for Easter. But growing up in church, I remember we used to do Easter speeches, like resurrection speeches. Yeah. And let me say this for anybody listening. I just started calling Easter resurrection a few years ago. Because when I was growing up, Easter was Easter. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It was like Easter, was, Easter resur- was Easter. Resurrection is new to me. Like re- the resurrection is not new, but resurrection Sunday is new to me. But um, we called it Easter, but we would have like Easter speeches, whatever that we would do on Sunday morning. Also with our church, like they would always dedicate the babies on Sunday mornings. Oh. On Easter Sunday morning, uh, they would dedicate the babies. My church organization growing up shout out to pucka they actually well, they had a youth council easter every easter weekend so easter weekend was our youth council so that was like one of the things that we would do but yeah those are some of like the biggest easter memories i have growing up i also have some memories of um my dad taking me to the barber shop the saturday before easter and getting my hair messed up by a barber with that i didn't want to go to so no. i remember that <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and then we always did feet washing, like either the Tuesday or Thursday night before Easter. Mm. So we commune every first Sunday, but we would do communion and feet washing either the Tuesday night or Thursday night before Easter, which, you know, I'm not going to go talk about my feet washing experiences. But yeah, those those <laughs> kind of some memories that I remember kind of growing up. What about you? Feet washing took me back. Ladies, please just keep your stockings on. My God. <laughs> um... <laughs> You know, because you know the Saints wasn't going to get pedicures back then. Oh Jesus! Sorry, I don't know what they was doing, but people's toes. There's a certain foot that people got, and it's just. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're not going to go into that. Um, so Easter speeches, yes, that was a major thing. We used to have plays. Um, there was a song that me and like two of my cousins used to lead. With my heart, I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> it was cute. We always sang because my church was called Greater Love Temple. So we always sang, um, there is no really? way to love. Yes, during Easter. Because, you know, it's like Jesus went to Calvary. Yeah. So that was our big thing. I do remember going shopping before Easter. I remember I had a pink suit. I had like a powder blue suit because, you know, you used to wear full suits back then, even being a kid. <laughs> and there was a time period, particularly when I was getting my hair done all the time, like, you know, getting perms and stuff. So I would, and the fishtail braids was like really in. So I'd get the fishtail braids and have like my pink suit on. And yeah. So that was really it. Did y'all like on Palm Sunday, did y'all have palms? Did y'all really celebrate? I mean, somewhat, but we didn't really go deep into like Palm Sunday like we did maybe in D.C. Because mm. I think in D.C. they give out palms and stuff on Palm Sunday. Yeah. I, I feel like they I did. That? I think y'all did that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I still got my palms. Like somehow my palms made it down here too. What? You didn't throw them away? <laughs> Mike was like, I'm going to keep this. Help my palms. <laughs> I 
I think we had one Sunday that we did Palm Sunday, and I was like, "What is this?" It was fun though because it was just waving a leaf. Like it's not like a full. You get one. Leaf. Hosanna! <laughs> that was fun. But no, we didn't really do much for growing up. We didn't really do much on Palm Sunday. I think outside of that, like I said, fifty day consecration. Like everybody would line up for prayer, and they put oil on you. We walk. Everybody at the church would walk around and get day prayer and stuff. And so that was nice. And then we would all go out to king's buffet or golden corral or stones or whatever all you can eat buffet and fill our faces because we knew that once we woke up he was fasting so so with the 50 days y'all did like the after six fast yeah yeah it was like after five o'clock fast only one meal a day because there was somebody i had to have a talk to because they was like well you know i eat my meal and then i had cereal i'm like that's two meals (laughs) (laughs) cereal is for breakfast it's one meal a day <laughs> I was telling my mom and dad, I was like, we were talking about fasting. And I said, I, you know what? I said, I'd much rather just go from like when I get up to like six, five or six, and I can eat what I want to, than to be like, yeah, no meats, you know, no cheese, no soda. <laughs> Like at six o'clock, like let me let me go ahead and eat what I'm gonna eat. You know, let me go ahead and, and order my DoorDash. Yeah, but it's always good for Easter because, particularly growing up, because that's when everybody came back. Mm-hmm. The church will be full, and it's like all oh, people we haven't seen in years will be there. But I love that. Would they take your seat, Ron? Did they take your seat? <laughs> you know what? There was a time where I cared about that, and then you know, like when you start ushering and stuff, you don't like you see, see going to be lost anyway. I don't know. Even now, like I do have a place that I kind of normally sit at, but I'm okay with like switching up. Do you have a seat in church, Mike? I do. It's a back seat. I sit in the very back in church. <laughs> you are dedicated to sitting in the back. I ded- I dedicate myself. You, there, you to- can be there. You- <laughs> and it's so bad because I tell the kids and girls like, yeah, y'all sit to the front. <laughs> No, because um, so y'all can get to the service, but I definitely be, but like if I'm ushering, I sit in the back anyway. I sit in the back seat anyway, just so I can see. Mm -hmm. But then I just always, I don't know, I always sit, I always sit in the back because I feel like I don't know why I I sit to the back. To be honest, like I just. Because I always feel like somebody going to like, you know, be like, hey, can you, like my mom be like, can you run to the store and pick up that fruit tray for, because we need the back back there. Hey, can you run to, uh, over to the dollar store and pick up, you know, such and such, such and such. I forgot we needed to, we were going to have this at the church today. So that's why I sit to always sit to the back, whatever. So. No, I sat in the back for a whole different reason. Like, I feel like I already know I'm going to be engaged in service. Like, I'm going to grab my tambourine. I'm going to be hype, whatever. So I'm like, if, if some somebody in the back is hype then that means like <laughs> hopefully the people like if everybody in the front is all part of the service and the people in the back are not engaged then it just looks bad you know what i mean so yeah. i'm gonna I'm bring, bring the passion in the back I've seen it. sometimes i'm not as passionate but i try to be <laughs> look you be that only person back there in the back <laughs> with my tibis, offbeat and everything oh man do you have any like specific easter memories mm, everything is a blur to me which is really sad. <laughs> I do remember the speeches. I remember trying to memorize them last minute and then like feeling scared. Like God has been good. God has been great. He died and rose again. <laughs> and it, it was I like only it. like one line it. that you had to remember, but it was so scary. But yeah, no, like I don't have any like specific. Do you have any? 
You seem like a person who has good memory, Mike. I don't really have good memory. I got the Holy Ghost on the Easter weekend. Oh. 2007, yeah. This is so, part of your youth council or? It was part of our youth council and I got it. And I remember that Sunday morning, it was my dad was MC. He was like, Mike, Michael, what happened to you Friday night? Tell him. So I just remember <laughs> like, I was just uncontrollable that Sunday. Like I just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember that like it was yesterday. Like me and a friend of mine was sitting on the same row. You know, a praise broke out. And it was just, yeah. That's a good memory. It was. I remember that Easter specifically. I remember JC Penney's used to have this clothing line called Influencers. <laughs> <laughs> and it was supposed to have been like their like black clothing line like they had women's they had men's and then they had children's right okay i remember one easter this had to be like 2001 my mom went in there and got me these two suits and i can't remember which one i wore for easter that year but one was a royal blue pinstripe and the other one was this black mandarin collar so it it looked like a preacher's jacket so you seen the Mm -hmm. jackets preachers wear it was like a preacher's jacket It looked like a preacher's jacket had a standing collar with like black pants. And I remember I got those two suits for Easter. You cannot tell me. And I I can't remember which one I wore. I want to say I wore the blue one. And you cannot tell me I wasn't clean that Sunday. You couldn't tell me when I walked and stepped in church (laughs) that Sunday that I was not fly. You know, you couldn't tell me I was not fly for that. Yeah, I do remember like asking my mom to straighten my hair like when I was younger, younger, because we used to love wearing hats for Easter. That was like the best time to wear like a hat. Okay, hat. Yeah. So We have to see some of these pictures. Oh, God, it's embarrassing. Hopefully we don't have them. But yeah, <laughs> you know, and back then, like straightening the hair was just it was a whole thing. Like. They always did the bump and you look crazy or like sometimes they would pull the hot comb on you and you had to hold your ear. So I do remember going through that stress. <laughs> Thank God for being natural. Well, I remember the girls would wear waterfalls and then wear like French rolls and updos and stuff for Easter. Yeah. <laughs> so how do we feel about another video i sent you the the post the, yeah the community yeah yeah how, how do we feel about that where we're sharing and drinking out of the same cup and having babies take communion out of that same hold on cup. i didn't i don't, I don't yeah. know if you sent me this <laughs> did i miss that <laughs> so that's what the catholics do and even they don't do that anymore because i went to christmas mass uh-huh and they don't even do that. Due to COVID, they're not even doing that right now. Um, Yeah, no, post-COVID, that's a big no. First off, I wouldn't do it, period. I wouldn't do it pre-COVID. I ain't drinking after nobody. <laughs> that's disgusting. But uh, post-COVID, we are definitely not all putting our mouths on the same cup. That's crazy. Why don't you just buy the individuals? But they, they got the actual bread in a pan. I would hate to be the last. Let me be the first to drink if we're going to be doing that. First of all, don't give that to my child. <laughs> you know what I mean like How and I think they use ki- they use real wine like why are you giving wine to my kids yeah that's what I was gonna say How and I gotta go home like, I gotta go is- home with my child first of all I don't necessarily believe in children taking communion we anyway. never took communion as kids I took it as a kid but as I got older and as a grown adult I would not have my child taking that- communion especially if they don't have the Holy Ghost exactly that was post Holy Ghost us taking communion and we definitely wasn't drinking real wine we had grape juice i could not imagine giving that to my child 
We had real wine growing up, but oh, okay. <laughs> that changed. It changed the grape juice. It changed the grape juice as I got older because some of the same to struggle with, uh, you know. Yeah, that's but, why um, we engaged in that. But we still use real wine. That man of Chevy's. Okay. <laughs> Not you know the brand. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't imagine taking my kid home after giving them wine. And everybody else's saliva in that cup. That's too much. This same person that posted, like, well, some of these same people also posted, and I know this is off subject a little bit, but they also posted a girl, uh, recorded a girl, like, receiving the Holy Ghost. And I just want y'all to stop that. Like, stop recording people being filled with the Holy Ghost. Beautiful, but, like, it's such a vulnerable moment. Like, mm, I don't know that, you know, that needs to be filmed all the time. It's one thing if it was one of those things that was like caught, like doing a service. It just happens. It yeah. just happens, but like somebody actually like reaching out for the Holy Ghost, whatever. Like turn your camera off, you know. Please don't record me. Like if I'm vulnerable, if I'm getting, you know, prayer or something like that. Like that was a really good moment I saw in church where a person was being restored after having left the church mm-hmm. and um they prayed and before they prayed they said like basically we're doing this so that all the saints know that you are like god has forgiven you and we have to and whatever you've done is in the past it was a beautiful moment what i loved about that moment even more is that it was not recorded literally the only people who know about the whole situation is everybody that was there and <laughs> I think that was my favorite part. It was so lovely and sweet and people were crying and everything, you know, like, cause this mm-hmm. person really like had to rededicate their life back to Christ, but nothing about it was recorded. No one pulled out a camera and it exactly. was exactly all sad in that moment and just, it was great. And you know, it was great to have redemption, but I think if people heard the whole story, cause I will say like, there was parts where I was like, oh wow, this is, the story was crazy, but God forgives. And that's all you gotta know. And you're that's restored. all you that's all you need that's to all know. You that's know. all you need to know. <laughs> and so I don't know. Like, I mean, that's the same thing. Like, I, I I love hearing that people got the Holy Ghost, but that's all we need to know. Somebody got the Holy Ghost, period. Some young person got the period. Great. Oh my gosh, the spirit of God is still moving. That's enough for me to rejoice right there. I don't need to know all the details. I don't gotta see this alive. I don't gotta hear them cry. And that's the thing I, I kind of dislike about live streams sometimes is that as much as I like to be able to view other people's services. Which, you know, I will be doing on Easter because I want to see, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing sometimes, the drawback with live streams sometimes is that everything is so caught on camera. Everything is so, like, recorded. And I get, you know, you want to give people the same experience at home. But I just think certain things are just uh, kind of, like, off limits. Like, even if, I know, like, some Sundays I watch this particular church and sometimes, like, the pastor will go and lay hands on certain people. I do notice that a lot of times, like, they'll keep, the, they'll shift kind of the camera off from the pastor, mm-hmm. you know, doing that. Because I think, like I said, I know, like, me, like, if I've ever been feeling you know something in service and like the pastor just goes up and pray for me you know i'm crying and stuff i don't i don't want everybody to see that you know like and you can't show up as your authentic self when you know that you're being recorded i just really i just really feel like it's so funny because this girl that i've been saying she's been showing up on my for you page on tiktok and it's literally she sits behind the pastor in a choir stand which i don't know why they do that because her facial expressions get caught like every sunday (laughs) her facial spread like the pastor was quoting a scripture she was quoting it along with them like and it was just like it's hilarious but it's also really <laughs> sad and i'm like i just need to turn off y'all camera because right. of y'all services like this yeah. but yeah 
Anything else, Mike? Is there anything you're looking forward to for Easter this year? No, not really. Like, again, I'm just grateful that Christ got up. That's it. Like, it's just a great time to remember that. But like I said, I'm going to a friend's house to go eat dinner. So that should be nice. But really, I just, I'm just grateful he got up. And that's it. We made it to another Easter. <laughs> you? Anything to look forward to? No. Um... <laughs> <laughs> look, to come home and get in my bed. Mike! <laughs> <laughs> after church some after church naps hit every time mm, come home and get in my bed we're doing an easter skit and i'll be glad when it's over oh are you gonna be in it i'm doing the lights for it so okay yeah i'm doing the lights for it. there's no speaking parts in it it's just kind of like a, a depiction so i'm doing working the lights but i'll be just glad when it's over <laughs> just because i don't like you know, I don't like being out like I don't, I'm not even out front for this, but just I like to go ahead and get things over with. Like anything I gotta do, I just go ahead and get it over with, you know. I remember seeing the I wasn't there, but it was a video clip of you singing for a play when you were in DC. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was good. You did good. I was I was just ready to get over with again. Oh, dang. So this walks through like the final moments of Jesus Christ. Is that what this play is about? Or apparently this church did a skit where they put like a screen up and it has like shadow people just kind of like depicting Jesus being whipped and him being placed on the cross and the crown of thorns. So we we did like the I don't you probably seen it where it's like the way the lights are, you can kind of see the shadows of the people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we're doing the lightings for that. So okay. yeah, interesting stuff. All right. So shall we move on to music ministry yes yes it's time for the music ministry y'all let's play some resurrection music okay this one That was Vincent Bohannon's choir singing, He Decided to Die. But it was originally made by who? James Cleveland? I believe so, James Cleveland, yeah. And then, as I talked about, No Greater Love song. <laughs> was the georgia mass choir there's multiple renditions of it that song like i love it to death it just brings back so many memories of my childhood it also kind of makes me cry but it's such a good song so it was hard to find just two i'm gonna do something a little new school i'm gonna do something a little old school so this is thank god for the blood by christopher irvin and abraham's descendants
So yeah, that was Christopher Irvin and Abraham's descendants right here in North Carolina out of Charlotte, North Carolina. I like that. That was good. Yes. Uh, the last song I'm going to play is Jesus Rose by Reverend Milton Brunson and the Thompson Community Singers. Here it goes. So yeah, that was Milton Brunson and the Tommies. Jesus Rose, one of my favorite songs by that group. Honorable mention goes to Vashon Mitchell. He got it. <laughs> he got up. Death could not hold him. My savior, he got up. An empty grave is there to prove. My savior, he got up. Yes. You don't have a clip of the week? I was planning to crack Ah. <laughs> it's always hard y'all to pick a clip of the week it's hard to pick just one but i'm gonna play a testimony this week we're going back to having testimony service here it is i went took somebody somewhere who took care of business and then i went home when i got up that monday i said well i gotta go to the store so i went down to vision on 50 to 54th street and when i was coming back towards the east, I looked in my rearview mirror and this C 71 truck, as big as one, headed straight toward me. And I looked at that and I said, That truck ain't gonna stop. And he plowed right into me. And you know what? My car looks total, but I didn't get a scratch. She tore that floor up. For what she knew. She went for what she knew. <laughs> what did it look like, mate? I mean, she had a jerk curl. Like, it was just, she got. <laughs> she went in. 
She went in. Because it was in. the God. It was God. That was funny. It was God. <laughs> amen, amen. So um, do we have any praise reports, prayer requests? Just pray. Just Yeah, just, just pray. pray. <laughs> just pray. Keep our young people in prayers as they amen. go to school. Uh, all these school shootings and stuff like that, like, and, and their mental health. Not only that, they'll be shielded from, you know, gun violence, any kind of violence, any kind of hurt, harm, or danger. But, you know, that the enemy won't trick their minds into, you know, shooting up any, because bullying is real. Bullying yeah. is real. Depression is real. Isolation is real. And you don't know what somebody's breaking point is that they're going through at home, going through at school and stuff, and they just decide that, you know what, I'm going to take some people out, you know. And and so just really pray for our young people, pray for their minds, pray for their parents as well. It's, it's probably not easy sometimes. Raise kids and being able to connect with them and being able to identify with them and being able to understand, but it's a praying time. You know, the Bible tells us that each generation gets wiser, but they get weaker. So, you know, we have a lot of the, each generation, that they're very much so uh, wise in a lot of things. I look at them on TikTok all the time. Look at them on social media. They know a whole lot, but um, it's also best that we pray for their minds and that the Lord will give them peace and not cause them to do anything crazy. Amen. Definitely agree with that prayer. Um, do you want to close us out too? Um, sure. If all hearts and minds are clear, um, let the words of my mouth. Let the words of my mouth. And the meditation of my heart. And the meditation of my heart. Be acceptable in thy sight. Be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord. O Lord. My strength, my strength, and my redeemer, and my redeemer, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Love somebody. My life was church and all it. I'm a pew baby.